this is a new, new field, with a, right. a, a brave new world. You know, <laughs> we need to we need to understand that. But in order to move forward, we've got to do some good research. Otherwise, it's going to come tumbling down. Otherwise, people will go, that's not a screening test. That's uh, that's just your opinion. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. Whether you call a brain-based visual impairment, cortical, cerebral, or neurological visual impairment, you know that this is an important part of our work these days. I'd been tracking some leaders in our field and trying to follow up on recent research and publications that had come out, including even monitoring some things on social media. And Twitter is actually how I became aware of Dr. John Ravenscroft. Then, this summer, we were at the American Printing House participating in a CVI workgroup with a variety of experts from the medical field, from education, and beyond. And that's how I caught him on our side of the pond. And aside from tackling CVI, we also hit on a couple new publications he had come out recently and some of the differences of work being done in Scotland and the United States. And remember when the Sicilian and the Princess Bride told Wesley he was no match for his brain? Well, I felt like John could have used that line on me. However, I doubt I'd ever beat him in a battle of wits. So your interest in language development then, did that transfer to students with visual impairment? Like, did that, does that tie together? So my PhD was about the nature of representation. Mm-hmm. What is it that children, uh, and actually I worked with monkeys in my PhD, what is it, what cognitive abilities, what is it that um, children and monkeys represent in their heads? And so I did some language studies with kids and I did some classification studies with monkeys. <coughs> they were all fine, there was non-aversive, they weren't treated badly, it was all, it was all very... Got it, got it, all the yeah. paperwork was signed. <coughs> yeah, 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 there's nothing, nothing bad that happened to them, right. you know, they're out in... Um, uh, uh, free, free land and stuff like that, enjoying themselves in monkey world, whatever it is. Uh, and so I was really interested in the nature of representation. So that's, I still am, right? So mm-hmm. the big thing I'm interested in is what do children represent in their head? What, how, how do they perceive the world around them, right? right? And one way of accessing that representation is through language because mm-hmm. we can understand it. You know, when you talk to me, I understand what the kind of things you're representing in your head. Mm-hmm. But there are many children who don't have language and, uh, uh, or, or communicate differently. And that understanding of representation got me into childhood vision impairment. If you can't see, what are you representing in your mm-hmm. head? Yeah. If your vision is not uh, typically developing, then wha- how do you represent the world? And that really was got me into that kind of thing. So from language to representation, representation into vision. Uh, and that's, that's how it is, really. So it's quite, for me, it's a very easy route to plot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, you know, initially it's like, wow, how did you get to, how did you get to be chair of vision impairment? Really, I quite like to be chair of representation, but mm. some philosophers claim that. So, um. Well, I know just from uh, spending a little bit of time in a meeting with you today that research is obviously a passion of yours. Um, and you've been tied a lot to work around CVI. That's sort of how your name came to mind for me is just that's why we're here today for this meeting and um, just 
kind of observing you online. You seemed really engaged in studying students that have CVI and the work around that. So how, how did that come to be, the leap from or just the path to CVI, like that that's become sort of a real interest of yours? Part of the work we did together, Gordon and I, on the Visual Impairment Scotland project, identified, um, and this is one of the early days of that, there were more children with brain-based visual impairment than they are with ocular impairment. And so if you're in the field of visual impairment, like, oh, there's more of them than yeah. there's of What's this then? What's this all about? So trying to understand that. Mm-hmm. So the data, so not only was it Gordon, but the data led me to um, really try and understand this uh, uh, CVI, this, or CVIs, yeah. as we say, because it's not just one condition. It's many, 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 mm-hmm. many. So, um, yeah, the data, if there are more children with brain behavior uh, or brain deficits and, and the vision's pathways and centers, then, then that's what you should try and really try and work out. It was a numbers game for me. Yeah. Research, numbers. Oh, there's more of them. There's a few of those. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you, you talked today about the, um, the system you have for identifying children and, uh, and then tracking them into the education system. And the thing that stuck out really for me was hearing that the the medical professionals are the ones that input the data into your census correct yeah yeah so um so they don't enter it into the pupil census they enter it into the the uh, medical caste system okay so uh but it, yes but it's them it's the pediatricians it's the uh, pediatric ophthalmologist who enter the data mm-hmm. that way absolutely secures and and makes the data robust. So there are no children on our data set, on the VINCIP data set, that hasn't been seen by an ophthalmologist or a pediatric ophthalmologist. So we know that what's on that data set is correct. Yeah. Rather than, uh, you know, an educationalist going, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, we, we, Tommy's got a VI, yeah, it's on there. You know, what what are the mechanisms to validate that data? Well, our mechanism, it comes straight from the pediatric ophthalmologist. That seems like a really good way to get good data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than going, hey, do you think you're visually impaired? Sure, right, you're on our data set. I tell you what, why don't you get assessed by a a pediatric uh, ophthalmologist in conjunction with a, you know, a neurological pediatrician, perhaps. And yeah, there you go. You're yeah. on the CAS system. Yeah, makes a lot of sense having a the, Vin, the VINCIP network. Mm-hmm. Did I read that you've done something similar in Australia? Yeah. So leading up to the uh, VINCIP uh, system, we did a notification system called uh, Visual Impairment Scotland. So this was like the precursor. Could we get you know, data from every child in Scotland. And we did this, this was a parent-led system, interestingly enough. So it's been flipped on the head to get it from the ophthalmologist because, you know, some of the data we were coming in was, you know, unreliable. Not because of the parents' fault, it's just the parents misunderstood or didn't know what the diagnosis was. So they were they were the ones sourcing your the database? Yeah, initially, okay. long time ago in Visual Impairment okay. Scotland. And so in order to start profiling, start to understand. If you're going to plan services for children with VI, you need to know how many there are, what are their conditions, mm-hmm. you know, do they have any uh, comorbidities? Uh, and so you need to, you know, so we were one of the first, certainly within the UK, to do this. Now, Denmark and Sweden had a very similar system, so we, we adapted some of those. 
And then Australia said, hey, we don't know how many kids with VI we have either. Do you want to come over and, and help us set that up? So that's what I did. So I set up the Australian Childhood Visual Impairment Register. I think that's what it's called. And that's still functioning there. You know, in the United States, we count all our kids because of the APH quota system. Every state has to have something in place to have data on their students, but every state does something very different. Yeah, so yeah. Uh -huh. It's um, it's interesting to think about a streamlined approach. Um, and who's counting them as well? You know that that's yeah. That, that always worries me about. I mean, I am not a medic, and you know, I'm not saying that. And, and I, for those who know me, know I don't have a medic primacy view you know i don't mm -hmm. think medics are up there and we're not i don't have that at all but in this case you know if you're talking about children with visual impairment with primary or secondary diagnosis within that it has to be the medics right? you know, rather than the educationalist yeah. well and we see you know in uh, as i've shared with you texas has a very robust data collection yeah i had a look at that i was very interested in that thank yeah, you very much yeah and but we see inconsistencies in there a lot where for example you know there'll be a a, a student listed as having an ophthalmia, and then, um, but they don't receive any services from a TVI. And you're, and you look at the data, and you're like, okay, so that means they don't have any eyes, but they don't get any vision <laughs> yeah, services. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's questions about when you have data reported and interpreted by a variety of people in a variety of positions. Yeah, you're obviously going to have some inconsistencies, and it's going to raise some questions. Like, yeah. are we asking the right questions? Are the right people filling out the paperwork? That and I think that, that that's right. And the VINSIP system, I think, works very well. It's the uh, There's an agreed shared form. It's an online form. Mm -hmm. All the pediatricians have and ophthalmologists have access to it, and uh, they just fill out the, the CAS form mm -hmm. nationally. It's great. Yeah. So do you think that some of the most important research that needs to be done around CVI is, is some of this more demographic nature research, or do you see some other real high areas of need? Okay, so for me, I'm quite interested in the demographic stuff. Yeah. So for me, that that's fine. And I think there's quite one or two people else who are interested in. But I think there's there's lots of research. I mean, I'm not saying that mine is the most important, right. must be done first. I think that, you know, the issues of um, actually how do we define CVI for a start is quite right. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start from basics. Yeah, you know, so what is this thing or things, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, I'm, so I'm interested uh, looking reading about that. Assessment, of course. Uh, uh, intervention, the intervention strategies, long term. Um, I go back to what my PhD taught me. I think is, is well, how do we know that the stuff we do is good, right? How do we know that the interventions we're putting into place are actually effective? We need to do some proper research around that. So I think, um, uh, so I'm particularly interested in the demographic stuff because then I can help you know s local services start their planning and things like that. So so I, I sort of. That, that's my role. But, but other people have different roles, like I say, in assessment, interventions, screening, you know, linkages between NICU units and, and educational. You know, there's all of those sort of things. There's not one that needs to be done first or, or mine's more important. It's just that there is lots, there are lots to do. This is a new, new field with a, right. uh, a brave new world, you know. <laughs> we, need to, we need to understand that. But in order to move forward, we've got to do some good research. Otherwise, it's going to come tumbling down. Otherwise, people will go, that's not a screening test. That's, the, that's just your opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, as a, I come from the practitioner world, 
And so I always want to get my hands on something I can use today. It's having that, you know, I appreciate the research perspective and having that long range view of like, yeah, this is where we're at today doing the research, but I can see how that's going to impact practice down the road. And that's kind of how you sell some of the projects and the importance of doing the research so that we can get to the good practice. Uh, there is that obviously that relationship between research theory and practice, okay? Yeah. And sure, there's a relationship between practice and theory and theory and practice, and mm -hmm. that's probably iterative. It goes around and around and around and around. But you know, at the core, it's research. You know, we, we've got to get that right and we've got to do it properly uh, because, you know, it could be the case that there are better ways mm -hmm. and we just don't know what those better ways and that's what research will tell us. You know, it's really important for practitioners to get access to or for organizations to to show and interpret what the recent research is, right? There's loads of research. Just in the meeting today, I did a quick check, and since 2015, Google Scholar has around 2,000 uh, papers, 2,000 papers on cerebral visual impairment or cortical visual impairment in children wow. from 2015. Somehow, I think that research needs to be disseminated for practitioners you know uh, practitioners can do the research as well you know research led yeah. uh, active practitioner research i think is very important as well so that collaboration between academics at university and teachers are, are hugely important i think too about how we sometimes get these um perceived truths that kind of get stuck in our mind and one of them that we hear all the time is there's no research in the VI field, or there's minimal research, or there's not been research around CVI. Um, and I think that it sounds like that's not true anymore, Not certainly not as true as it was five years ago. And it's like we kind of get, I don't know, stuck in that cycle of like, well, I don't think there's a lot of research, so I'm not really gonna look into it. I'm not gonna look, it. yeah. <laughs> I, I, think it's, I think that's still partly true so mm -hmm. there's still a lot of medical research now out of that google 2000 i don't know how many of those were medical based right that's uh, a good point. but i i'm pretty sure that 2000 of them aren't education based right, right? i'm pretty sure that's not the that game. i know yeah not that i know either right <laughs> so so i still think there's limited education based research mm -hmm. right uh, it's not you know falling from trees it's not everywhere right. you know it needs to you do have to have to find it but it is happening mm -hmm. you know it is there and so so please keep looking is what <laughs> i would say you know it's not it's not true that there's no research there's mm -hmm. lots of research and you just got to spend some time you know have some research reading groups you know get practitioners together and, mm -hmm. and find a paper that might be of interest you know hmm. so speaking of books you recently published one um yeah i did published two recently actually you did okay. well tell us about both of them yeah okay so the one that you won't necessarily have come across is designing education research so it's like oh. a, a textbook for practitioners how to do research oh it's for, it's for students and the practitioners cool. so yeah yeah so yeah it's pretty cool so um uh, it's called designing education research by uh, published by bloomsbury and it's a kind of so it tells you a little bit about um quantitative quantitative data about case study design mixed methods designs quasi-experimental designs but i think the book you're referring to yeah. is the rutledge handbook of visual impairment mm -hmm. so that's got 28 chapters uh i think it's around 38 42 authors in it i can't remember exactly how many two years to compile uh and we look at several topics themes it's a kind of thematic 
the way it's organized is thematic. So it's, uh, there's, there's three chapters in cerebral vision impairment. We've got a personal overview from someone uh, with cerebral vision impairment. Uh, we've got a chapter with Gordon Dutton Karina is, is in there from Leah. Leah's got a chapter on CVI. And then we move into education. We move into the history of low vision assessments. Okay. Uh, we've got a couple of chapters by Justin Hagel and, and Lauren Lieberman around adapted facilitivity. Mm. We've got some about the nature of representation. Michael Prow and Simon Hayhow do two separate chapters differently. Uh, and that's pretty good. They're, quite, they're very interesting chapters from a kind of philosophical uh, approach that Simon's cultural philosophical approach and Michael is a cross-modal approach looking at the understanding of psychology and visual impairment and things like that. So they're quite interesting. We've got Walter, Walter Witch uh, and, and his colleagues and Peter Simic. Walter's got a couple of chapters on deaf blindness and old age and living on that. It's, it's an interesting, eclectic mix of yeah. people um, who I basically phoned up or emailed and said, hey, look, look what I'm doing. <laughs> Want to write a chapter? They went, sure. I, when I got this book in the mail, which I haven't read at all, but I did order it for our department, I, uh, it was like a conference in a book. Because yeah. every chapter was uh, a little bit different and just a collection of people that you don't normally see compiled together and so yeah. well, it was pretty cool really exciting well well thanks very much it was it was sort of like a collection of my friends yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah who do i know around the world well i know quite a lot of people let's just write a yeah. chapter you know we've got the uh, there's some really interesting chapters there about uh, ting so ting and their yeah. technology there but we've also got the you know, bionic eye and things like that yeah. you know future advances what's going to happen we've got a couple of chapters on mobility and orientation uh, habilitation you know so that's all really yeah, so it's all there. So sort of like, what do I need a book about? Well, oh, we need about CVI. We need about education. We need employment. We sort of need some technology there. Oh, it's, uh, we're going to grow old. You know, we need something about that. It's not a book about one thing. It's a it's a it's a collection of uh, John's chums. But I don't think that would sell very well. You know, <laughs> it's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you described. It's not quite what you expected, but it's a that was done deliberately. So you know, I know, you know, it is networks, and I know quite a lot of people who are experts in their field and I wanted to get it in that book mm-hmm. you could you could only do a, one handbook of visual impairment right they're not going to be hundreds of them competing against them and so I wanted to cover it with as wide as many experts as I know into that book and just to write how they would how they would mm-hmm. you know I didn't tell them that they had to write it in this way in this style it's just like you know I just want you to yourself come across well i i mean that's one of the benefits of being you know as you are sort of now on the international conference circuit i found going out going to events being part of organizations and professional memberships and all that stuff you just you start to collect these people that you respect but you're also friends with yeah yeah and you know i'm I do it too, where I'm like, oh, I have this project I need to do. Who do I want to work with? Hey, you know. Yeah, you know, that's right. Like, yeah. We haven't seen each other a lot lately. Maybe we can figure out something, something to work on. It's great. Yeah, you can just email Leah and go, hey, Leah, <laughs> can you write a chapter for me? And she goes, yeah, okay. You know, and you go, Gordon, you know, you write yeah. a chapter for me. You know, these are international experts in their own right, but they're also my chums. Yeah. You know, I go drinking with them. You know, <laughs> it speaks to our profession. I feel like this field, everybody is is very generous with their time, with their energy, with their efforts. And uh, I don't know, it's one of my favorite things about 
about this these people we hang out with. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, that's it. That everyone is an expert. We've been there. You know, we're, we're working together. We're trying to. We all have to share same aim, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to improve the lives of children with visual impairment, right? Exactly. We all share that. Not. Right. No one doesn't have that, right? So we always put the child at the center. So there's the common theme, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, so I might be interested in data and all of that, and someone might be interested in assessment and all of that. You know, it's great. But we're all got the child at the center, you know, trying to improve services and that, and that's great. Okay, so I kind of clued into you on uh, social media. And so I know you're on Twitter. I don't know if you utilize any other social social media platforms. I was on Facebook, but um, that was just personally mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, and I was very close. I actually don't use it that very much. But I use Twitter, and my handle is Johnny Ravo. You've met me now. Yeah. And yeah, Johnny Ravo's about right. It's isn't pretty it? cool. That's right. It's yeah. about right. So I, I use it two ways, I think. One is to disseminate my own work. And to read other people's work. It's a great way of, you know, so people put on, just publish this new paper and you think, wow, great. So you won't necessarily easily come across some neurological paper because it's not vision-based, right? Right. But it's there on Twitter. You know, someone else has retweeted it that, you know, you have a connection to Mm -hmm. that you follow or they follow you. Mm -hmm. And you go, wow, it's a really interesting paper. So so it's great. So it's a great way of finding out what's new. It's a great way of disseminating your own work. And it's a great way of having a laugh. (laughs) You know, it's a great way of... You know, connecting to people and, yeah. and you know, and sharing your thoughts and ideas and stuff. I think it's a good avenue for sharing. And yeah, gathering. sharing and gathering and um, you know, coordinating meeting and stuff like that as mm-hmm. well. You know, it's got all that private messaging stuff as well, so you can start quickly having quick conversations privately with people who are online and stuff. What else is there? Anything else you want to mention? Yeah, uh, no. Um, uh, apart from, I've never been to Texas School for the Blind. Oh, so, you're gonna, we're gonna have to find a reason. Yeah, yeah. You got to get me out. out of there. I hear so much about it. And congratulations yeah. in your new role as superintendent. Thank you. I will be d- delighted to come. Yeah, and, and have a look. Well, you know, we put on some pretty big events in our outreach department. So once they know that you're interested, I'm sure you'll be on the docket well just um, uh, find me on Twitter (laughs) (laughs) at Johnny Raver I'll be there do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem they may qualify for free services support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life call 817-740-7530 to find out more That's 817-740-7530. TSBVI Outreach is always creating resources and information that's needed in our field. Our Texas CVI Initiative Workgroup continues to develop professional development for educators and families in partnership with the Texas Sensory Support Network. As with many educators, much of our professional development has included the work of Dr. Christine Roman Lancy, and Sarah Kitchen is here to share with us what's happening now and what we may be thinking about moving forward. Right now, I'm working with my colleague, Lynn McAllister, on um, online training modules. Those are going to be available for anyone who wants to take them. We are doing a test run with our university program um, through SFA and TTU. Stephen F. Austin and Texas Tech University uh, with those and they will give us feedback 
and then we will polish them up and make them very nice for the web. The training is on the CVI range, Christine Roman's uh, assessment. It should work as a preparation for actually assessing children and also for the course that Sandy Newcomb does at the Perkins School for the Blind, which is a little bit um, more advanced. So this is more of an intro course. How do you do the CVI range? It um, offers somebody the opportunity to observe other people doing this process and um, will be available for CEUs. I know we also in the past have been doing something called a CVI clinic. Uh, what are those? Can you share what those were? A CVI clinic is a year-long project where we work with an area, a region, uh, most of the time in Texas, to um, train teachers on this same process of going through the CVI range with other people who have done the CVI range before. So about three people usually uh, bring their student to this process and we um, ask them to go through the steps of the assessment over the course of a few months and gather information. We process that information together. We plan the direct assessment and then the parents and the children come to have the direct assessment um, with Diane Sheetline, who is endorsed, uh, ha has the Perkins endorsement. Conversations arise from this, uh, reports arise from this, and interventions arise from this. And then we check up on our folks about how things are going. So our students, uh, we see the students after the interventions are in place sometimes through video, sometimes we actually get to go see them. It's important that the students have the correct interventions to help them build their visual skills. In the past, the, the, the typical functional vision assessment that we have does not necessarily address all of the bits and pieces, all of the considerations uh, that we want um, with CVI. We all know we're learning more and more about the brain all the time. And a CVI is a different kind of visual impairment. And so we are slowly but surely our field is learning how to think about vision when it's a neurological condition. I think there's actually more CVI now as uh, medical technology moves forward. Um, we save people that we could not save before. Um, which may result in neurological differences. I wish that our education system was, um, was as uh, invested in as our medical system so that we could actually support people and not just make sure they live. That's all. John and Sarah both brought up the fact that we need more research. As we know, the CVI landscape is continually changing because, as he said, it's a brave new world. So I think we all need to stay open-minded and embrace new findings and expand on what we already know. AER has a division specific to neurological visual impairment and they are continually navigating services and needs for those students. And we all need to be part of ongoing conversations. Nobody can speak better to the impact of CVI on a child than their families. So be open to their stories too and keep engaging them in our work. 
From the TSBVI Outreach Department and Ascensa, Texas, I'm Emily Coleman, and now maybe one of John's chums. Hopefully he agrees. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.